0: This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Get 24-7 instant access to over 390 family law e-lectures and more with a subscription to the MCLE Online Pass. Learn more at www.mcle.org slash online pass. Note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE website. Part three, Carlos.
1: You're up, right? Yes.
0: Much, All right. How much time do I have?
1: Do we All right. Let's take a look here. Not a lot. See, one of the beauties of this program is Friday, we usually have a little extra time at the end. It's been the pattern. So if we don't get to everything today, we'll be able to slip it in uh, tomorrow. Don't worry. Um, and, and the other thing is I want to thank Judge Roach because historically, judges who participated on the panel usually don't show up on day one. And they just show up on day two. And this has been great having you here today. So going forward, I'm going to mandate that any judge who participates shows up for both days, because it's been really valuable having your input. Oh, I enjoy it. I'll be here next day. All right. right. There you go. You're back. All right. (laughs) Um, Okay, Carlos, um, child support guidelines and support orders.
0: Sure. So this is a really (laughs) difficult topic to condense into 20 minutes. there's a lot of nuance to child support guidelines. There's a lot of nuance to the alimony statute, uh, particularly now that alimony is not tax deductible as it was for 70-odd years. So I encourage you, again, to read the, um, pay, read the chapters in your textbook on this because they will have a lot more detail. I'm going to go very <laughs> high level here. Uh, again, I don't, I, I don't want to turn this into like a flat lecture because you can get most of this stuff from the chapter, but I just want to give you guys a little bit of sense of how to do things and what to watch out for. So child support, guide, child support is support that's paid for the benefit of the children of the marriage, right? It's usually paid by the uh, party who has the higher income, but not necessarily because it's paid to the custodial parent. <laughs> so even if the custodial parent, uh, the primary custodial parent, has a larger income, than the other spouse, the person who makes less money is going to be paying child support to the person who has custody of the children because that that's the way the money flows under our statute so just look out for that it's not automatic that whoever has more money pays it to the one who has uh who has more of an who has a larger income pays it to the one who has a lower income uh, the child support guidelines um, you you know most you you can do them by hand but you can find them online you can find them through the court websites for the most part the forms that are there are self-calculating if not you can do them by hand Um, but don't stop just at the child support guideline spreadsheet you know it's it's not just a two-page calculating spreadsheet there's about a i think it's 15 or 20 pages document that's next to them that's the actual guidelines that explain the theory behind them, the topic, why they apportion certain costs, and how to run them. There are certain, cer- there are certain types of income that don't get accounted for in the child support guidelines, and that document will explain to you wh- which ones and why. Uh, the way that college expenses are apportioned are also explained in the child support guidelines. So just, you know, besides the two chapters in the book, go and read the actual child support guidelines. Go and read the packet because there's a wealth of information there and there's some wrinkles there that might appear in one of your cases. So you want to be prepared because you don't want the judge at your hearing to ask you a question about one of those wrinkles and you're not knowing the answer or you're being surprised by the fact that that wrinkle exists. So go and read them. Always run the child support guidelines and run them several ways. The child support guidelines, you know, for most cases will be pretty simple. You'll plug in the income of the payor, you'll plug in the income of the recipient and you'll make whatever, and you'll plug in whatever child care or health, medical or dental insurance uh, payments are there because those payments the payment of child care or the payment of health vision or dental insurance and I guess the payment of other support orders will serve as credits to the person who is making those payments to either reduce their child support obligation or, or, or increase the child support entitlement depending on who is making those payments. So always plug them in and always plug them in even if both parties are splitting those costs. So for example, there's two parties. One pays, one earns, let's call it $1,000 a week. The other one earns $500 a week, right? You plug in 1500 into the guidelines and then they say they send their child to daycare and it's $250 a week but they split that cost by agreement or that's the way they've always done it. Don't just wash it out and not include it because oh, it's 125 him, 125 her. Plug it in there because the child support guidelines don't give you a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit on those elements they apportion it depending on the amount of income that's coming in globally. So you'll find a much different result if you plug it in versus if you don't plug it in. So make sure to always plug in all of the elements because they're going to make a difference in what the end result is of the number that the child support guidelines give you. It's very important. And then there are additional wrinkles that can happen too if you have parties who make combine more than $250,000 a year. The child support guidelines apply presumptively to couples whose combined incomes are $250,000 a year or less. But sometimes you have some that make a little more, $300,000, $400,000, a a lot more, a million. Um, There are different ways to run the guidelines, and I've seen a lot of variance here amongst practitioners and even the court, uh, the judges as to how they run certain guidelines once they're over that $250,000 a year mark. So for example, say you have one person who makes 300 and another person who makes 200. You now some people will say, all right, well, let's do 150 on the person who does, 100, does 300, 100 on the person who does 200, and that combined is 250, and let's see what the guidelines say and then we'll run the guidelines again on the other 150 and the other 100, this time without applying the discounts for the child care and insurance, okay? And then you just add those two up and see what comes out. That's one way to run them. That's probably the most traditional way of running them. But other people will plug in 500 and 250, and then you'll notice at the end of the child support guideline worksheet, there'll be an overage, right? Because they're not going to consider the combined incomes over 250 then they take that overage and plug it into a new guideline. And more often than not, it's a different number than if you just ran two different guidelines at 150 and 100. I realize what I'm saying is very convoluted. It's not very clear to follow when you're just speaking about it. But I just flag it for you to run these things very different ways because the ways you run them may yield very different results because the guidelines can be very quirky. And like I said, they're not always dollar to dollar on these... Credits that they give, and they're not always dollar to dollar on the overages that are applied to another set of guidelines. And then you can run into other wrinkles, like, for example, there's three kids, and mom has primary physical custody of two kids, but dad has primary physical custody of the other kid, right? So, what do you do there? You're not putting three kids in there in the guidelines for the calculation. Some would say, well, one of the kids cancels out the other kids, so you just run them on one. That's maybe not the best way to do it. Maybe the best way to do it is to run guidelines once with two kids with you, you know just the amounts of income and then run them again with one kid but flip the recipient and the payor and then subtract that number from the, uh, from the number that you got from running it with the two kids with the, with, with the recipient and payor flip. That's another way to do it. Um, these, are, these are abstract. Again, I'm trying to get through this very quickly, but I'm just illustrating to you different scenarios that come up a little more often than you think, and just counseling you to run the guidelines as many different ways as you can. Ask for help, run it by other people, and just try to come up with the amount, because there is a little bit of room for variance, and there certainly is a lot of room for discretion once you start getting over $250,000 of combined income whatever comes in north of that, is not necessarily going to be run according to the guidelines. And then in addition to that, say you have a normal run-of-the-mill case where you just run the guidelines on the first 250. There may be circumstances in that case that warrant an upward deviation of child support, right? Uh, You deviate from the guidelines because, for example, maybe one of the kids has special needs, and the party who is the primary physical custodial parent has to either not work at all, or needs a lot of help at home via some type of care or has to engage in extra expenses for school to deal with those special needs. Right? Um, Sometimes the special needs are those of the spouse. So there are other circumstances that can come into play, and depending on what the case's particularities ask for, you may be deviating from the guidelines upwards. Okay? Always bring the child support guidelines to the courthouse. Even if you have an agreement that neither party is going to pay child support to the other, or even if you have an agreement where it's just going to be alimony, uh, you always want to bring them because the judges need one, to see them to understand what the child support guidelines would do, and two, you're going to need to fill out a form that explains why you're deviating from the guidelines, right? What circumstances exist that warrant the judge to make a finding of fact that there is the special circumstance that warrants the. That, that that creates a result that that's not consistent with what the child support guidelines are, are putting out there. Um, like I said, child support is for the children. It's one of those provisions that, just going back to what Steve was talking about, always merges with the judgment, never survives. You can't do a surviving child support agreement because a parent is not able to waive a kid's right to child support. So it may be that you just never modify it, but I've never seen a judge allow an agreement where even if the parents are very wealthy, even if everyone does very well for themselves, even if they're both independently wealthy uh, uh, post-divorce, waiving the ability to modify child support is not something that a judge is gonna do. So that's just something to keep in mind. And child support is one of those things in a prenuptial agreement. That you can't deal with yet because you don't know what the circumstances are going to be, and no judge in the Commonwealth is ever going to tie something, to you know, to an tie child support to whatever was established at the time that an agreement was signed. I know that was a lot. Um, Let me move on to alimony very quickly, and then I'll take a few questions, uh, which you almost certainly have. Um, Alimony, alimony support paid for the benefit of the spouse until a couple of years ago alimony was tax deductible it was paid at a rate of about 30 to 35 percent of the difference between the spouse's incomes or according to the recipients need and obviously there's a lot of disagreement about what need is what's a reasonable need what's a want what's you know consistent with the marital lifestyle what's north of the marital lifestyle that's you know that, that's where there is a little bit of room for discretion but typically it's either 30 it was 30 to 35 percent of the difference between incomes or a party's need now that alimony is not tax deductible 30 to 35 percent is too rich because the payor isn't able to deduct that 30 to 35 percent periodic support payment that they're making from their taxable income and the recipient doesn't have to claim it so you end up with very lopsided results once you look at the post-tax consequences of this. So those have been adjusted. It generally falls now in the range of somewhere between 20 to 25%. Obviously, it's not tax deductible. It's more or less almost the same. It's treated the same tax-wise as child support is treated, just post-tax dollars. No one reports them. No one claims them as deductions. So it, it, it's just money that flows from one from the payor to the recipient. Um, It's not necessarily apples to apples that 20 to 25 percent is the equivalent of 30 to 35 percent. The way we got the 20 to 25 percent is one of the um, financial experts that's very respected in the divorce, uh, in the family law bar, did this calculation and ran a model and ran it several different ways. And he came up with a model that said, more or less 90% of, if, if you have the page... I complete, do, I'm going to give 90, you the You know, 90% of the cases are going to fall within that range. But for example, you, it, it, but it's done by reverse engineering the post-tax results with the pre-tax, pre-tax results under both scenarios.
1: So the model, by the way, is just on page mm-hmm. 237, mm-hmm. 238, and then um, just thereafter, I don't know if I stepped out, Carl, I if you mentioned... No. There's a, a really good sort of PowerPoint presentation starting on page
0: 239 which dealt with uh, the alimony uh, changes in the law. So take a look at that. That table is very helpful because it's not always true that a 33% order is going to be equivalent to a 23% order when you go from tax-deductible to non-tax-deductible or that a 30% order is going to be equivalent to 20 So just make sure you review that sheet. Do the work, especially when, when you're dealing with high-income cases. There's a lot of variance to these, uh, to these calculations once you start accounting for deductions, tax brackets, etc. So just something to take a look at. There's four different types of alimony. I'd say in 99% of our cases we're dealing with general term alimony versus the other three which are rehabilitative, reimbursement, and transitional alimony. They exist. Take a look at them. The chapters explain them well. But for purposes of this discussion and for most of your practice, it's not something um, that we're dealing with. Um, go and read the statute. Go and read Chapter 208, Sections 48 through 55. That's the Alimony Reform Act. That came into play just almost 10 years ago, but it instituted a new scheme, and it, has, uh, it explains very clearly the durational limits, terminating events, right? If someone dies, if someone gets remarried, alimony terminates. Uh, If someone cohabitates with someone else, there's open discussion about whether that needs to be a romantic partner or it can just be cohabitating with, for example, a sibling or your parent. Uh, There's no law on that issue yet, at least that I'm aware of. But go and read those chapters because they're going to be very instructive. And alimony is one of those things where at least the guidelines are very clear. There's obviously room for wrinkles and nuance. As in everything we do, depending on a case's particular circumstances, but we have a pretty structured framework of amount of alimony, of amount of alimony, duration of alimony, terminating events, etc. Uh, so read those chapters because they're very important. Um, I'm going to cut it off there, very surface level. There's a lot more to this. You could teach a month. You, you could teach about these things for a month and not get through them. So. I Just <clears throat> one point. Mm-hmm. Not only read the statute, but read
1: the cases, because mm-hmm. the statute's relatively new. It was passed in 2014, but there's been a slew of cases that has interpreted that statute. So it's very important to read the cases to get a flavor of where the court is on uh, interpreting that statute. Um, okay. Just on, on the issue of just alimony, mm-hmm. uh, do you folks get this Have any mass law review through any of your memberships look familiar? Or right, some of you are nodding. Um I I'd asked MCLE to add to the material but some I'm not seeing it. Maybe they didn't get the permission on the copyright. Um, but there's um so it's Math write this down. Massachusetts Law Review, volume one hundred one, it's November twenty nineteen. There's an excellent article here. Uh, on the Alimony Reform Act. Um, so, if you're looking for sort of a comprehensive, there is some other material on the Alimony Reform Act in here. But if you're looking for some comp- comprehensive material uh, uh, that's really timely and up to date, it's a good article. Okay.
0: Questions? <coughs> Comments? Complaints? <laughs> you did a good job. I have one. Yes, please. Not a complaint. <laughs> I found out recently that there there's an app that you can put on your phone that allows you to run the Child Support Guidelines Worksheet and it's the most amazing thing I've ever yeah. seen.
1: So there used to be one that I had but which one which one's that That's off from of?
0: from Infinity Law Group. Is that the Skylark one? Uh, I don't know. It's there called was one M- There was a- one that develops. had
1: a glitch in it at one point and we stopped using it. I, hope so. uh, I, made, I think and this is a new one. I believe they fixed that. They fixed the glitch? I don't know who who's had the glitch. Whether it was that one or I another one. We can take a look
0: in a second. But we, we could. But we, we got a little spooked by it because we were running them on our on you know just the Excel file that we downloaded from the court, and that was turning up a different result from another Excel file we downloaded from yeah, somewhere. Yeah, same else. experience. You're nodding your head. And then the app was putting something, and then we ran it by hand, and, and it computer was computer. something different. Yeah, so. Another app out there as well. I've been using the Infinity app, and there was a time when um, and I can't remember his name now. Was it um, Justin
1: Kelsey's app?
0: No. No, because no. he
1: had the He had the <laughs> older one. I don't but, know if he ever updated it. But That's the, um, no, he, he sent
0: different. out an email to at least many, if not most, if not all of those who have the app, saying we have a little glitch right now, so hold off on using it. Mm-hmm. And then he notified us when the glitch was okay. resolved. Okay. And I can't remember what I paid for it, but it was really short money. Right. And, like it gets, and it gets updated at no cost. Yeah, $2.99. So. Yeah, and, and it gets updated at no cost whenever the guidelines change. Yeah. Great. Has, has anyone here ever done the guidelines by hand? A, a handful of knots. It's not that easy, and yeah, it's not it's something difficult. you want to do in a crowded hallway in a courthouse <laughs> with your client waiting for you, and you're okay. using your phone to like use the calculator, huh. but then like text messages start popping up. It's yeah. just, so this is do them here. at do do them at your office. Bring it's them br- bring them to the and, and do them different ways and label them different ways Absolutely. because if there's some question about income, for example, if you, if, if you're claiming. Well, no, it, you know the payor's income is really a hundred thousand a year, and they're like, no, the payor's income is really fifty thousand a year. Bring both sets of guidelines just so you have them ready, because if the judge credits one or the other, you want to be able to give him both sets of guidelines yeah. and not be caught up short, to, because it, it's not going to be like double the amount of the $50,000 one, right? right. And, and bring blank like forms with you so that if you're doing them on your app, you can then
1: pull out the and the comes out the app. Right. Um, we're going to take a break. Uh.